This is the Business Storytelling Podcast with Christoph Trapp, available on Google, Spotify, Apple, Pandora, and other podcast channels. Want to play it on your iPhone? Just ask Siri to play the Christoph Trapp Business Storytelling Podcast, also available on Alexa. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Hello, business storytellers. It's Christoph Trapp, your host and author of Content Performance Culture. And today's topic is actually emotion detection, also called recognition technology. And this is an interesting topic. I ran into this uh, technology probably two years ago now at the Adobe Summit. Um, And basically, um, when I was checking in for a flight, the kiosk was trying to recognize my mood and... um, adjust their messaging based on what my mood was. So kind of an interesting topic. Um, So for today's guest, who will kind of fill us in what that is and how well it works and what the future is, is Paul Barba. He's the chief scientist at Lexalytics. Paul, how's it going? It's going very well. Thanks uh, for having me. So um, tell me about emotion detection. What's the, I mean, uh, you've written about that topic at length. Uh, and are an expert out there in the field. What What is it, and, and how does it uh, come to fruition currently? Uh, sure. So it's a pretty broad topic. Um, it's really any use of software to determine the emotional state of a human. And this is through video or images, which sounds like you saw at the, the kiosk there, looking at a face. Are they frowning? Are they furrowing their brow? Uh, voice. There's a whole subfield of, you know, listening to, is the person loud? Uh, are they laughing? You know, sort of the noises we make uh, convey emotion. And then I sort of specialize in natural language processing, which is trying to understand the meaning of text through computers. And so that's looking for understanding what a person is saying or writing, uh, and therefore trying to infer the emotional state uh, underlying that. So let's maybe we can break those down um, by those different categories that you just mentioned. So when you look at people, though, I mean, different facial expressions mean different things, right? Or how does it, uh, are they universal across different countries and, uh, or even within the same country? Yeah, no, this is a really important point. And um, it's part of why I find this such a fascinating field and a fascinating thing to write about, um, because there's a lot of promising results. There's a lot of especially controlled data sets um, where machine learning can do very well. Um, but yes, there's also a lot of variation in how we express ourselves. Um, and just because you're furrowing your brow, that can mean any number of things. It can mean you're deep in thought. It can mean the sun is in your eyes. Um, <laughs> and so there's a kind of interesting thing you often see where, as people have looked deeper at these uh, studies, there was a paper at a Northeastern last year about emotional expression reconsidered, um, where what they found was that actually there's a very high agreement if you ask somebody to make a face. So if I were to ask you, oh, can you act sad? Uh, then you will create a very recognizable face with the you know, eyebrows lowered and the, the lips pulled down. And everyone can say, yep, that's a sad face. But what they found is that actually in practice, it's really not as reliable as all that. When somebody is actually making a face earnestly just in a conversation, um, we don't always display our emotions at all. Uh, or if we do, there's a lot of variations. And it can be regional. It can be within a country. It can be individual. Um, so there's a lot of complexity and I think it's really important. And this is why I've been trying to talk more about this topic, uh, for people using this technology, because it is getting better and it is interesting to understand some of these limitations. You know, I, the, the example I think of is, um, so there's some days I spent my day 
running from thing to thing, right? Like currently mm -hmm. the running means I'm hopping on another call uh, during the, the home, home uh, sheltering phase here of the coronavirus. But um, I remember a case when I was running from a meeting to another meeting and I was still thinking about that meeting, right? Uh, and and I, I think I made the face, have you seen that um, Olympic um, gymnast, right? She made a face like, you know, her, her <laughs> yep. lips pursed. Yep. And I apparently made that face, but I, I wasn't in a bad mood. I wasn't pissed. I was nothing. I was just kind of thinking about what just happened in that meeting, which was kind of like something I was thinking about. And that was the face I was making. And so somebody took me aside afterwards and they go, you have to look more positive in these meetings. You can't like, you're not buying in. I'm like, not buying in. <laughs> this is all <laughs> I think about, you know? Um, yep. So, so it's like, it's not, it's not easy, right. To read people correctly. So I assume the machines will have a similar hard time or will it be easier for them? No, no, no. And, and I think that's a really good insight. And I think that's a good intuition to take into this uh, because it goes even further than that. I also have a tendency to make a, um, you know, staring off into the distance face when I'm thinking about whatever topic it is uh, from the day. Uh, and my wife sometimes misunderstands me, thinks that I'm angry at something we talked about earlier or something like that. And so you can think about how many times it happens in our everyday lives that we misinterpret a text from a friend uh, or just have these little miscommunications with our, our spouses, our loved ones. And if we can manage to screw up communication with people we've known for 20 years, um, then, of course, a machine who doesn't have the cognitive ability of a human uh, with the limitations where oftentimes these are being deployed in situations where this is the only interaction it has with this individual. Um, and so it hasn't built up that litany of, oh, this is how they look when they're staring off into space. Oh, this is how they look when they're mad. Oh, they say it's fine to mean uh, I'm really upset about this. All these little things that make us individual. I think we, tend, we can learn those as humans. But the fact that we still screw them up suggest that there's a real need to know somebody at a deeper level to, to reliably pull uh, emotion out of them. So I think it was last year, uh, I'm pretty sure I was flying from Dallas, Fort Worth to um, Hong Kong. It was the first time they had the um, face, facial recognition boarding pass. And of course, the journalist in me, I took a picture of me doing that. Uh, mm -hmm. and I blogged about it. And, and I think the point I was trying to make is, I don't necessarily care if they do that, um, if it makes my life easier. Now, it's debatable whether or not the facial boarding pass makes it easier than me scanning my phone. Um, but, uh, of course, when I wrote about that, everybody's like, whoa, but privacy, privacy, blah, blah, blah. How do they even have your picture, Christoph? Um, you know, and, well, they have it from my passport, I guess, uh, because it's tied to customs. Um, so, but if you're, as a company are looking at somebody's face through whatever you're looking through, like whether it's the airline or somebody else, I mean, are there privacy concerns or is that, uh, has that not been broached yet by anybody? No, certainly that is a concern. Um, and it's a concern of the use of the technology. It's, these things are always tools that can be used in very positive ways and, and negative ways and can be used responsibly uh, with data that has been provided, you know, voluntarily, uh, stuff like that versus things sort of pulled uh, where people don't want them uh, pulled from. So I think it is definitely an active discussion uh, in the sort of AI community about what are the appropriate ways to use any of these technologies and, and you know, where do people's privacy rights really uh, come into play. Uh, so I think that that's a really important uh, topic in general. Um, I think, you know, the data sets people train from are, are public. Um, you know, there's various cases where people have, you know, done studies where they recruit 
uh, people to, you know, willingly uh, perform different facial uh, expressions to, to, you know, provide training data for machines. Uh, a lot of the um, text emotion detection work uh, came out of Twitter. Uh, so pulling down tweets or people said hashtag happy, hashtag sad. Um, you can argue about, you know, to what extent people are expecting uh, their, their messages going to Twitter to be public, but I mean, at least it's a public facing website uh, where that's sort of the point is to broadcast it to the world. Um, so I think there's a really lot of interesting questions about uh, appropriate uses of data. And it is something being discussed uh, certainly very actively in the community. Okay, yep. Uh, let's circle back to, well, actually let's stay with text for a second. Um, so every time when I do like, a, um, I don't even know what it's called now, um, uh, emotional analysis, that's not what it's called, but basically you look at um, how are people um, feeling about a brand, right? Uh, positive yep, so sentiment analysis. There you go, sentimental analysis. Um, it seems to me, and maybe it's just bec because it's not as black and white as I love it, as I like it to be, but it seems to me that most of those are very non-conclusive and they're always more neutral than positive or, or negative. Is that just my perception or does that happen often where the sentiment is more like neutral than anything else? Yeah, absolutely. The, the bulk of it is neutral uh, and humans will agree with this if you give them to humans for, for scoring. Uh, most content just isn't that uh, exciting. Or sometimes it's sort of balanced, right? They'll be saying good about some aspects, bad about other aspects. So a lot of that software you can get a little bit more granular and you can look at, okay, well, this whole thing is kind of neutral, but maybe there were little individual things they talked positively about. Um, but I think this is just a, a reality of expression. A lot of what's going on is just sort of uh, providing information, expressing an opinion, uh, not trying to tear something down or, or you know, talk about how great it is. So, but what do you take from that? If, if, if so much is neutral, can you uh, form a response or form a brain interaction when it's just kind of present, I guess, right? I think you're always going to, as, as a brand interacting with the public, you have to accept that a lot of people are going to have neutral reactions to your brand. Um, I think this is just the reality of the world. We, we really like our brands to, to resonate and to be emotional and to, to have this you know, cadre of, of big supporters. And you think, oh, companies who've done a great job of that, Disney or Apple, who have you know, these really fiercely loyal fans. Uh, but I don't think that's the average Apple user or the average uh, Disney um, purchaser or whatever of their many things they produce. Uh, mostly people you know, are vaguely positive towards it or, or vaguely neutral or it just doesn't really affect their lives overly much. So I think it's just a, a thing to be cognizant of is that, you know, we are really looking at the, the 10 to 20 percent of people out there who are going to be the biggest brand advocates or the biggest attractors. And you're trying to get to them and understand their concerns or what they like. You're trying to engage with them. You're trying to create content that engages with more people. So you're increasing that percentage. Um, but at the end of the day, most people are going to buy a product and they sort of workman like here's a thing that I want. And now I have it. And now, you know, I'm done with this brand. Right. So what are some uh, use cases, I guess, or, or implementations where, where where will brands use this technology? What's the I mean, the the airline, like, I don't even know if I care how they respond to me, whether I'm in a good mood or bad mood. Uh, mm -hmm. Most of the time I'm in a good mood, you know, when I'm checking in. But um, like, is that even a good use case of this technology or are there others that are better? Um, no, I think it's, it's a reasonable one, especially in, say, a call center or something to try to understand 
Um, you know, how is this person feeling? Are they getting frustrated? Are they getting angry? Uh, trying to resolve issues that are important. How do you tell what an important issue is? How do you tell what needs um, some, some extra care from a manager or something? I think emotions and meaningful detector in that case. Um, I think when you talk about focus groups, uh, anything trying to create content um, that is gonna resonate emotionally, I think this is a really classic uh, goal of a brand is to, to create some sort of emotional response, whether it's desire or um, fear even, you know, you're worried about your retirement, if, if your retirement fund is like your uh, messages to encourage engagement through emotions. Um, so I think anything that has a sort of, is the message I'm looking for, getting across is helpful. And then of course, there's just sort of brand uh, awareness and management of, you know, wanting to know when people are mad at you. Um, because, you know, I think there's been a whole slew of cases where brands have inadvertently said something or done something that's gotten some people upset. And, you know, whenever you can sort of identify and deal with that early, um, I think there's a lot of potential benefit there. So that's another place where emotion can be a useful signal uh, that something important is going on that you should be aware of. It's, it's, I can just imagine how hard it can be, though. I mean, I remember um, a case, and this was on a phone call, an internal phone call or Zoom meeting or whatever, and it was recorded for one reason or another. And I thought I came off, um, I was too strong with a person on the team, right? I was too abrupt or bossy or whatever. And uh, that's what it felt like to me. And then you know what I did? I played it back because I wanted to hear how it sounded in real life. And I didn't sound anything like it. I sound like I had my radio voice on like now, you know? <laughs> so, yep. so it's interesting because like, if I don't know if I use my radio when I call the call center, but in my mind, it feels like I'm really, really stressed and upset and whatever about it. But then if you actually listen to me, uh, I sound like this. Yeah, it's such a fascinating field because there is so much complexity to, to human language, to our voice and to, you know, how we perceive ourselves, how the other person perceives us, how we think they are perceiving us, how they think we think they're perceiving us. Um, and there's just this real amazing complexity. Our minds are very nuanced at and so even your example, it was how you thought it had happened, but then re-listening, you come to a different conclusion. Um, so you were able to reevaluate and re-understand what was being said. Um, so yeah, I, it, it kind of shows the difficulty here. And it really always amazes me that any of this is, is possible, uh, that the software can be as accurate as it can be, that it can understand language at all. Uh, it's all very sort of science fiction feeling. Um, but it's a good reminder that, yeah, there's so much nuance here that, that is really still too deep for the machines to mine. Uh, maybe will be for, you know, quite a long time. Um, but finding areas we can still see value from the technology, even when it can't get to that level that a, a human can. It's, we're really in an in a interesting time for marketers and, and content people, though, right? Because there's so many different things uh, happening. I mean, AI, which this is part of, but there's probably, I don't know, uh, just top of my head here, I mean, there's 15 or more categories of AI that, that marketers have to think about. Um, and then yep. you have voice strategy that's really starting to pick up. Um, and what else did we have on the show the other day? Uh, but those two at least come to mind. So there's a lot of things people have to think about. Um, if a marketer, or let's talk about the, the content side first. You mentioned creating better content. So how can a content marketer use this technology to, uh, you know, create that content performance culture even more? Uh, sure. So there's a few different ways of seeing using sentiment or emotion detection. Um, one is to just run your own content against it uh, and to try to see 
is the voice I'm trying to portray coming through? And I think this is actually one of the weird areas where the limitations of machine learning uh, can be actually a benefit um, because you sometimes write something very clever uh, and the machine learning will fail on it. The sentiment will become negative because it didn't understand the reference or the nuance or the negation. Um, and I think that's actually a helpful thing to understand as you're writing content, uh, because a lot of people are going to be reading this who are not English as the first language or are just skimming it very quickly on a phone uh, or just even other automated processing systems, Google and everything else. And so if your ideas are confusing uh, the machine and are coming across negative when you didn't uh, intend them or that says that you sound angry when you, you know, didn't mean that, that can be an opportunity to uh, you know, revise and, and create a little bit of a clearer message. Um, and then the other use case that really kind of jumps to mind is when you do have enough uh, readership and enough uh, reactions to it um, to see what's resonating and how it's resonating. If you were trying to get something across to make people want this thing or to be happy or to be mad about this issue you're raising, um, then being able to you know, quantify if that's going across. Now, I think realistically for a lot of content, just reading it yourself and engaging with your readers is sufficient. I think it's a particular scale where the need for something automated comes in. Uh, but when you get to that point where what you would have <clears> been doing reading through the comments and replying, uh, then something that can help you, something that can find really the people you should be engaging with, the people who are upset with what you said and maybe you want to engage with or uh, learn from, I think is a place where it can start to uh, have some real value. Well, it seems like this needs to be a chapter in the 2021 update to content performance culture. Uh, but dear writers, bring your thick skin, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. <laughs> because, I mean, it's, uh, it's getting more and more feedback. I mean, to this point, a lot of people really just look at the numbers, you know, are people reading it? Are they taking any action we want them to take? But now we can actually, um, you know, we can get their emotions. And of course, um, when I work with the creative team, I always, this is one reason, I, I'm a big proponent of people being able to work wherever they, they are, honestly. Um, I don't think you need to be sitting next to somebody else when you're writing or when you're recording a podcast. Um, right. But I love that um, interaction when you show somebody uh, a creative piece and you can see their face because you see their um, unfiltered reaction. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yep. So same thing right here, except maybe a whole nother level. Um, for marketers, how do they even jump in? How do they get started with, uh, uh, with this? That's a really good question. And it really kind of depends on, I, I think always, whenever you're going to try to engage with machine learning, with AI, with any of these technologies, it's having a clear use case. It's having a clear goal. And it's having something manageable in mind. Um, so the biggest mistake I, I see in, in engagements with uh, people out in the industry, people trying this sort of stuff, is to just jump in 100%. Um, there's a lot of technology that isn't all the way there. I mean, at the beginning of this conversation, I was discussing some of the limitations of, of emotion detection uh, and trying to understand both the promise but the, the, the you know, restrictions. And so sometimes when you jump all the way in, this is going to be this you know, totally revolutionized how we're approaching this problem. It's going to be you know, top to bottom. We're revamping. Um, you can get suddenly stuck where the technology didn't live up to with a promise. Uh, any number of things can go wrong. And so I think really sort of thinking about where could I bring in, whether it's sentiment, whether it's emotion, whatever the feature is, but where can I start using this? What data am I going to use? Uh, what tools do I want to see? What insights do I really want to get out? 
uh, and then keeping it manageable. And then if you're seeing value, then just keep pushing along, expanding it, using it in more cases. Uh, but that's always step one. And always step one is to have a clear view of, of what the value add you're looking for is and how can you get there efficiently. And do you think, will it uh, take off first um, or will it be more prevalent uh, in the facial recognition of emotion or really the text for, for brains? They're very different um, industries and it really comes down to what data you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so text is nice because people are talking all the time. And there's a lot of you know, brand management platforms out there that gather this information for you, whether it's blog posts, Facebook wall posts, Twitter, whatever it is, trying to gather it in all one place so you can see it. Um, and so I really think that text is both sort of cheaper, it's smaller than um, images, and it's very easy to get your hands on in the scheme of things. Uh, there's still some challenges that can still be expensive, but that's the main benefit there. I do think that there's a whole lot more you can get when you get all the modalities. When you can see the face, you can see the eyes, you can hear the voice, um, that's going to give you the most actionable, the most interesting data. Um, but it's a very specific use case where you have access to your customers uh, reacting to your products. Um, and I just don't think that's the normal case. So I think especially in things like focus groups, um, there's a lot of potential there. Uh, places where you're actively engaging with people to you know, come on screen and, and give you some feedback, look at your product, stuff like that, read your content. Um, but I think they're both going to go in parallel depending on what data um, the marketers have their access to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, the facial emotions, though, I mean, how do you even get the face in front of whatever you need to get it in front of? Because I'm thinking even with like the, the airline, I mean, how many times do we even go to a kiosk? You know, sometimes we just check in yep. on the app and we don't even they don't even see us until we're almost on board. Um, like what or you, you do online shopping, right? I guess I hope the camera is not looking at me. Um, so so yep. what are some of those um, use cases where that could actually work or is it or would the camera ask me for permission to look at me or how, how would that work, I guess, in practice? Yeah, so most of the places I've seen it in these sort of early stage successes have been cases along the lines of market research where you're paying people to do this um, because you're right. Most interactions aren't recorded. Uh, even if you have people coming into a store, you know, I think there's privacy issues with filming them. You don't, you know, you kind of want to get their consent, but it's a weird thing to walk into a department store and have them say, oh, do you mind that we're filming you? <laughs> we want to see your emotions. I think that's sort of a bad brand experience. Uh, so, you know, I think especially the, the visual ones are going to come down to um, if the data is <laughs> there, if for whatever reason you have access to this, um, then it can be a promising field. Uh, and there's a lot of, you know, research going on into this. Um, but the other thing that I think plays into that, one of the reasons it's, it's, I think, stronger when you can have active engagement from the users is the point I made earlier about when people try to show emotion, um, it's clearer. And another use case here was there was a really uh, high accuracy data set that just came out um, for text uh, for asking people about COVID-19, how do you feel about it? And so it was sort of a, they gathered a bunch of volunteers um, they asked them to write a few paragraphs about how they were feeling at this moment. And they showed that they could get very high emotion accuracy, uh, sort of state of the art um, of anything of, you know, being able to say, oh, yeah, within, you know, 85, 90 percent of the time, we can tell that this person is expressing anger or sadness. Um, but a lot of that was because they had literally asked them to do that. Uh, so I think it's it's funny, right? It almost goes back to that sort of couple's advice of, you know, how, how are you feeling? How does that make you feel? 
Um, this trying to infer from the person staring off into space that they're upset uh, is difficult and fraught and has a lot of, of you know, errors as opposed to just asking them. And so I think anywhere where you can get active engagement, where you can get people who are willing because they're interested or excited or you paid them to you know, give you an earnest description of how they're feeling, uh, show you their reactions as they read your content, that's always going to be the cleanest source of data you can find. I could just see you going to a store and they ask me for permission. If Can we see your emotions? I would go, yeah, you bet. I'll show you my emotions. <laughs> yeah, right? There was a funny uh, use case from a long time ago, uh, early um, image recognition stuff. And I forget the, the company now, but it was a real luxury brand. And they decided, okay, let's try putting cameras in. We've got you know a handful of customers who are very high value, who spend a lot of money here. And we'll identify them so that the people, the clerks can greet them by name. Uh, and it, it just creeped people out. It was a big failure because this person never knew before, you know, greeting, oh, hi, hi, Christoph, oh, so good to see you. Um, it's actually very kind of off-putting. It's this fake, uh, inter, you know, uh, interaction, this fake uh, closeness, intimacy that people seem to be kind of wired against. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's certainly evidence in, in some failed projects that you want to be careful with um, surreptitiously making use of people's information. It, it does... Uh, rub us a long way quite frequently. You know, what's interesting about that story too, uh, so I, not currently, obviously, but uh, usually, you know, I fly a lot. Um, and, you know, on, on, on the airline alliance that I fly on, um, usually they come greet you by name, right? No matter where you sit, whether it's first class or economy, they come by and say, oh, nice to see you, Mr. Trap. But I know they just looked at their tablet by based on my seat, Right. So it's yep. it doesn't feel creepy because I know why they know how they know that. Sure. Yep. So that's the difference. Um, so uh, on a recent episode, we had Scott Brinker on the show. Of course, uh, a Martech expert uh, created the, the Martech eight thousand um, graphic that comes out every year. And one of the topics we talked about, Paul, was cost, right? And one of the things we talked about at length is. Uh, you have somebody like a CMO or whatever, it doesn't make any difference, but they, they implement a huge piece of technology, costs a lot of money, right? And they're, I don't want to say they're betting their job on it, but sometimes they are, right? Because if that's their first sure. project, um, and then they'll be judged on that. Uh, this kind of project, I mean, is it like, is there a high cost involved or, or where does that currently fit in when you think about um, what marketers have to work on? Sure. So I think really there's, there's two costs, and I think they're both things that could, could lose you your job in, in your example. Uh, the first is, you know, it can be anything from there's free APIs for some all amounts of data for things like sentiment, uh, even some limited emotion recognition. Um, so getting started can be quite low, although it can scale easily into, you know, uh, six, seven figures for very large companies with very big projects. I mean, we're talking about AI in general, it can be, you know, revolutionizing your whole company, right? It can be top to bottom how we're doing marketing. And so that can involve a lot of new data scientists, a lot of new tools, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's as, as most industries, right? There's, there's small places to get started. There's big things for big customers. It's finding the right piece. Uh, but the other piece that I think is really important is the quality of the data is going to end up determining the quality of the insights that you get out of this. And so if you have inaccurate data, if you have data that's problematic, if you have you know, data that's inaccurately labeled, then you can get out insights the other side that have these sort of um, 
feel, the, the trustworthiness of, oh, this has been vetted by really fancy algorithms we spent a lot of money on, and so therefore they must be true, and therefore let's use this insight to drive our business uh, to a place that might not be productive. And so there's a whole bunch of work going on throughout this field, and I think emotion detection is a really good example of this, of trying to understand, say, underlying biases, um, because any sort of gender or racial biases that exist out in the world is often then reflected in the algorithms. They learn from the data and then they spit that back out. And so I think there's, you know, some caution uh, warranted. And so I think it really requires some nuance, some careful thinking, um, some savvy in trying to interpret um, these results uh, and some, you know, good partners, people that you can trust, data scientists who, who know this in and out. I mean, these aren't unknown problems. Uh, so anybody who's who's worth their salt can kind of walk you through this and help you with it. Um, but it's very easy if you're not paying attention to jump all the way into some big project that uh, isn't going to go anywhere in the end. And who, so, you know, one of the, the points I'm making in content performance culture is, you know, certainly you need to have somebody uh, in charge of the strategy, somebody in charge of production of content, and somebody in charge of analysis. Uh, and this, of course, is a whole different level of analysis. But can uh, can existing team members analyze this kind of project, or do you need a different skill set from what teams currently have for like digital analysts or digital strategists? Um, I don't think there's any. It, it's hard to say, right? It's an individual basis. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's any sort of secret lore that isn't accessible. Um, I think that you know. A professional data scientist, somebody who's gone to university for this, can be good or not. And somebody who has picked this up, who has made a real dedicated effort, who is, who is smart and has really tried to learn and understand this. Um, it's really amazing how open this data is, how many open source algorithms, how much just sort of public discussion now between, you know, machine learning and AI reddits to um, a, a million sources out there. So I think it's certainly possible for somebody who's dedicated a lot of time to, to learn. And I think a lot of times just good business savvy matters a lot, trying to understand what the data should be saying, what it might be saying, where the issues might lie. Um, so I suppose it really comes down to the individual. Uh, you can go wrong, I think, either way, but you can go right either way. And it's certainly within people's reach to become proficient in these sort of new technologies. And very interesting. Thank you, Paul Barba, uh, was our guest today, chief scientist at Lexalytics. Uh, appreciate you sharing your insights, Paul. Um, My pleasure. What is, what's Lexalytics? What does that company, what does your company do? Sure. So we're a natural language processing vendor. So we write software, like I said, that just tries to understand text. Uh, we support about 20 different languages. So Chinese, Korean, Japanese, a bunch of different Western European languages. We're doing more Eastern European languages now. Um, and yeah, we're just trying to unlock insights wherever we can. Uh, hidden away in text. Text is such an interesting source. It's so fundamentally human, right? I think, you know, language is probably the thing that differentiates us more than anything else from, from animals, from everything else. Um, it's such a nuance. It's so complex. And so we're just trying to scratch the surface at taking what is being discovered in academia, in research, in all these different areas, and then making it available to marketers, to other industries, to just wherever there's an interesting problem involving understanding language in an automated fashion. Uh, we're trying to pitch in and help out. Very interesting. And Paul, where can people find you and connect with you on the web? Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, underscore Paul Barba. 
Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find us Lexalytics at lexalytics.com. Um, we had a publication recently that you mentioned on emotion recognition uh, over on VentureBeat. Uh, so if you look around, I got a few different publications out there. Um, but yeah, I, I love to talk about this stuff. If anyone is interested, I'm always up for a conversation for where, where we are with fields like AI, where we're headed, what's new, where it can apply to different industries. So yeah, I'd love for people to reach out. Fantastic. Paul, thanks for joining us and thanks for sharing your insights. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It was, I, I really do enjoy talking about this stuff with uh, people and I really uh, enjoy your podcast. I've listened to a couple episodes now. So thanks for putting this out there. You bet. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone for listening. Until next time.